My peoples, my peoples, my peoples, welcome to Right Away Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Martin. I'm excited this evening because I have a very talented young lady who's going to talk about her journey and what that means to her. Um, they call her Princess, the Egyptian Princess. Her name is Mary Powerdrow, so hopefully I mispronounced her name, but she'll correct me when she comes <laughs> in. But let me, um, let me give you a, a, a backdrop on um, the Egyptian Princess. Um, she's passionate about the many gifts God has given her. As an author, visual artist, poet, host, curator, life coach, and master of networking poets, musicians, comedians, and artists. She has a zeal for life, coaching men and women, helping them to reach their visions with passion. And she listens intently to help them navigate through the roadblocks and allows them to see their life map. So welcome, Princess. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. You have a lot of gifts. You have a lot of gifts. A lot of things that you um, and most of them, it's interesting, but most of them include peep other people. You know, include helping other people, which is a great thing. So maybe we'll start there. We'll start there. Okay. Um, is, is it something that was with you early on? As far as have you always liked to to assist people, help people? So we'll start yes. there with that question. Absolutely. Um, I've always been someone who likes to listen to other people when they're struggling, they're hurting. Uh, I always wanted to take time to just give them a chance to have an outlet and to feel safe. And so I would always um, give them an open door, and they trusted me from an early age. They always felt like, oh, you're so mature for your age, and, you know, you're so easy to talk to. And, you know, I, I wanted to always give open arms, just, you know, someone needed a hug, someone needed someone to listen to their ears. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's great. That's really, that's good. And I know you're a poet, and, you know, this show is about words, and, and, and so I'm going to go probably my favorite question to ask on the show when everybody, <laughs> whenever anybody has come on the show is, what started you to writing? Because we all have our journeys, and but something, yeah. what prompted you to start writing? Was it something early? Was it an experience? Was it something school? What started you writing, especially primarily Poetry. Poetry. I started writing poetry when I was 12, and it was an outlet for me to describe, you know, the pain I was suffering, uh, the frustration. Um, it was the outlet for me in my home where there was so much, I felt stifled. I felt like just um, unheard and I kind of like not seen. And so writing was my outlet. I was able to be creative. And when I would write my poems, I'd also create collages. And I have these two binders even to this day. I still kept them since my beginning early, you know, age of writing. Um, and they have collages of pictures from magazines, and I post them exactly with the poem, and it fits perfectly. So, yeah, yeah, it really helps just dealing with what I was going through at home. Wow. Oh, that's great. Wow, that sounds like a lot of poets. <laughs> you're dealing with something. I always say that poetry um, not only enhances lives, but it actually saves lives, too, and I, I firmly believe that. A lot of stories, whenever I talk to poets, a lot of times they're, they're writing to to deal with something, you know? Yeah. And up and on. So it's, it's really good. What's, what's, um, 
life coach. So what's I'm not familiar with life coach. What what is what does a life coach do or try to do? A life coach is merely a guide in helping someone overcome their fears and also cheerleading for them. Just letting them know, you know what, I hear you, I see you, and I understand where you're coming from because I've been there too. And being able to share personally the stories and the the certain sufferings that I've gone through, and there's many things that I've gone through, emotionally, physically, um, spiritually, and so I'm able to tap into things and really connect with people and get them to open up to me about the things that are hindering them. The things that feel like they they just they put walls up, and I try to break through their walls, and I get them to see that we need to get to a certain point and move through that wall, and then the next one, and the next one, until we can achieve those visions that they have, the goals that they set out to. But just need guidance, need some steering, and need someone to really say to them, "Hey, I really believe in you," because they don't always have that support. They don't have someone rooting for them in their corner. But this is somewhat an opportunity to just give them personally that guidance and say, I believe in you, and I mean that. And being genuine about that. It's not just saying it, but really genuinely meaning that. So that's why I really enjoy life coaching because I love being someone's support and guide and seeing them from one year, like starting at one point of the year, let's say January 1st to December 31st, it's a complete 360 of a person. So that's what's beautiful to see that change in the course of a year. Wow. Now that's, yeah. that, that's prompting another. Um, but I don't want I don't want it to be my show. I want it to be your show. But <laughs> it's, prompting other, it's prompting other questions as far as that. Um, okay. So as a life coach, you're you're kind of um, holding this person's hand through whatever they're going through, right? Right. Have, as a life coach in your own personal life, you have to kind of arrive at a certain peace and calm in your own life to be able to do that. How did you do that? What what kind of, did you have to go through something to to get to that point where you can help people? Because, you know, we have to help ourselves before we can help anybody else. What did you do to get you to the point where you can help other people? It's every milestone that I've gone through as far as, you know, achieving certain things artistically. Let's say these are things that I wanted to go through and navigate and start painting, start, you know, doing things that I've, They've been in my dreams and wanting to set out to do, but I've done them later in life. And so when someone's telling me, oh, I haven't been able to accomplish these goals and this and that, I can tell them, well, I've been there too. And so I found art to be my vehicle in healing me and being able to express myself with painting and drawing. And also I've, I've gone through therapy in the past, and I've gone through talking to certain spiritual guides to give me encouragement as well. So I feel like everybody needs someone else to listen to them, someone else to give them that guidance. And I definitely seek people that I trust as well that can give me the same nourishment that I just want to give to other people. Because we all still are in a constant growth process that never stops for the last breath of our lives. So um, we were all continually working through things, healing through things, and just learning more about ourselves and our purpose. So... I continue to work on me. I continue to strive to learn more about what I need to do to get my life in the right direction so that I can also continue to practice what I'm preaching to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I always see, I, well, not, well, I've only lived in America, so I can't speak for the world. I've gone a few places, but I've, I can only speak for here. And it seems like there are a lot of fragmented, and I'm not 
um, making myself an exception here. I could be one of the people too, but it seems like there's a lot of fragmented people, people that need life coaching or, or it just seems like it, you know, because people get caught up in the wrong things or negative things or destructive things, and it seems like they're just screaming for help. Right. What you do and what people like you do um, is so badly needed because I, I just see so much fragmentation in people in their lives. And I think life coaching sounds like it speaks to that. It does. It does. Life coaching gives an opportunity. It's not like counseling because, well, it's, it's partly like counseling. I'm not going to say it's not like counseling. It's it's like counseling, but usually when a counselor, they're they're afraid to share things more openly. And I'm not afraid to do that. I usually tell my personal stories of growth and things that I've gone through because I feel like it's important for someone to connect with you and understand that you've gone through something the same and mm-hmm. being able to be really raw with that person. Right. So that's important to me. Right. Yeah. Right. That makes total sense. Makes yeah. Total sense. Wow. So you have to be brave. So, yeah, you definitely fit into a poet's category because I think it takes a lot of um. You have to be brave to get up there and, and share poetry that, that kind of, um, I don't know, makes you naked in front of people, basically. That's the best way I can put it. So a life coach has to be kind of bold like that, too, in, a, in another sense. Absolutely. That is exactly the truth. You have to be uh, vulnerable and um, unafraid of admitting, you know, your your true pain, your true suffering, and and just that's what makes you more human to them, and that way they trust you, actually, because then they're like, wow, you went through that? And I'm like, absolutely. But that's the whole point is I've went through that, I've triumphed, and I'm still here. So yeah. if I'm still here and I've triumphed through that, you're going to triumph through it as well, mm-hmm. and we're going to get you there. Like, I'm going to get you there. It's You just have to, like, release the tears, release mm-hmm. the pain, and don't be so afraid. Like, I, I want that openness and that raw moment to be, you know, completely transparent. Like, I want you to just be there. And I've seen that over and over. People have cried with me and released what they need to release. And that's that breakthrough moment. So they've been holding it in for so long, and they're afraid to trust somebody, and they need to release it. Right. So, yeah, in a, in a safe space where, mm-hmm. you know, I'm holding that safe space for them to release it. Right, right, right. Hey, I always I speak about my angels a lot. And you, you, here's another question for you. And mm-hmm. my angels for me, for people that haven't heard me say this before, there's people who were complete strangers who set me on a road, a path in life that completely changed my life. Completely, completely changed my life. Who were your angels? Who were some people that motivated? Maybe you don't call them angels, but who were the people that motivated you, inspired you, pushed you when you didn't want to be pushed um, in a in a different direction or a more profound direction. Do you have certain people that did that for you? Yes. I definitely say that. Yes. My my grandma, I think, was my biggest light in my life, biggest cheerleader, and I just really felt her love in my life the most out of anybody. And she really, really genuinely um, just gave me this, this feeling like I was super special. I was the youngest grandchild out of five, so, uh, you know, obviously I got a little bit more attention <laughs> to some degree, but um, at the same time, it's just the way she lived her life. She was a very godly spirit, and she she genuinely loved people on a level that everybody, it didn't matter who it was, she would make them feel super, super special. But me in particular, just that relationship with her, and the way I watched her treat others, 
from an early age, I just saw that level of respect that she had, and it was beautiful. And and that was such a um, like for me, she was like my my own little personal hero. Like I just loved the way she treated people, and um, and the way she prayed, and just the way she her spirit. She had a, just a gentle spirit, but it was very strong as well. And that's how I saw my aunt and then my mother and my, my uncle, like the way she taught them to be who they were. They, there was people with integrity, people of of light, and, and just they had a purpose. And not just my grandma, but in high school, I had a really great um, counselor that I used to talk to. And she also believed in me. And I was going through a lot of things during those four years and he believed in me and guided me and you know I remember her you know giving me all the wisdom I needed as far as certain classes I had to navigate through and drop and get into new classes and um, certain things I had to with my credits she got me to even get further credits than even I ever needed graduating she um, she believed in me to the point where she helped me make sure get my driver's um, ed a practice, those three-day practice. She, you know, she treated me just like her her son, and because her son also was like the same age as me, he went to a different school. But she would just give me like all the same guidance. Oh, you should, you know, go to this college, and I got into four colleges. So mm. I had this one support, and she wasn't my direct counselor. She was an outside counselor, and she really supported me and got me through those dark days. And I just didn't feel like I really belonged. I really, I never did in school. And the other angel that made that same purpose for me was my English teacher, Mr. Mitchell, God rest his soul. Um, he died of cancer at an early age. It's really sad. Um, early 30s. He died in his early 30s. And um, he was someone who believed in me, believed in my poetry. He'd read one of my poems in front of the whole class. Like he'd just take the poem and he like, He'd read the poem, and then he'd say, that's Mary Tawadros' poem. And it just, um, he really gave me that, um, like, backbone that I needed when I felt like I just didn't belong. He'd always tell me, Mary, just wait, just wait. Once you leave school, you know, and you get into college, you're going to flourish. That's when you're really going to expand. You're just a little bit above your time. You're just not, this is not for you. Because I just didn't have the same mindset as everybody else. I respected my teachers. I never talked back. I didn't get in trouble. Like, I wasn't one of those kids. And I and he was like, he knew that I was just different than everybody else. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. So, yeah, the yeah. angels. Well, I call them angels. That's, uh, that's, you know, I can't remember all their names, but I call them angels. So, you had your angels. So, that's beautiful. And yeah. So isn't it interesting how we, um, well, you had your grandmother. I didn't have anybody in my direct family. But it's interesting how strangers mm-hmm. can be like kindred souls. You know, Most it's like spirits. Yeah, it's like you're, you're strangers, but you're really not strangers. For some reason, your your souls connect, and they they look out for you. It's such yes. an interesting thing about life. It really is. It it's is. Really wow. It well, is. he has yeah. gone through you. You know, he encouraged you. So as long as you're here, he'll be here. That's yeah. About that too. You know, you yeah. have those to relate to people. And I'm sure anybody that's listening to this will be encouraged by um, what you said. And maybe that make them recollect, recollect um, the people that inspire them. Yes. 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 Thank you. Uh-huh. And you're a great poet. People that are listening, maybe most of them don't know that, but you really are a great poet. Oh, thank um, you. When did you 
Did you know it was? I didn't know I was writing poetry for a long time. Somebody, one of my teachers told me, I said, oh, it's poetry? Okay, whatever. When did you know, did you know you were writing poetry right away as soon as you started writing it? And if so, when did you start? Did you start by reading it first, or did you just um, fall into it? How, how, how did poetry come about in your life? I liked poetry. I liked poetry in school. Um, I remember, like, I guess the earliest some of the earliest posts and, and then that I remember was like Robert Frost mm-hmm. and Edgar Allan Poe. Like those were the ones that I was reading and, and got into and I was like, oh wow, you know, like they just were so dynamic. And um I I of course some of Shakespeare's poetry and you know, it just it was just different things that I kept seeing and I, I knew what I was writing was poetry. And so I wrote, um, and I would write about everything. I was very vocal. Love, death, I mean, spirituality. I was just doing everything. Everything I was going through in my head, I would write about it. Like, just to express myself and get out everything I wanted to express. If I couldn't do it in my own household, because um, just to get background, Egyptian Princess Aid is my, my stage name, my poet name, but I am actually Egyptian. And so in my culture... You know, that you're suppressed as a woman. You're really not allowed to speak. You're not really allowed to, you know, shine. And that's what I grew up in, that kind of environment. My father was always um, taking away from my own mother her shine and and knocked her down, her spirit. And Mm. so watching that was very, very frustrating. And I I was so I was born here. Everybody in my family, my brother, my mom, and my dad were all born in Cairo, Egypt. So for them, you know, it's it's a different way of life than when they were born. Of course, my parents were much older, so the period of of when they've been around, how long they've been around, everything, they're much older mindset, and it's just a different. I I always I did talk up, you know, I, I would talk back. I would you know say something like, and I I my dad was like just looking at me like I would be crazy or something, but I. I wanted him to hear me, but he didn't fully hear me. That's the problem. He didn't fully hear me. Mm-hmm. But writing allowed me to be heard. Mm. Yeah, I definitely feel you on that one. Um, yeah. This, um, because it was, I missed it. This is, I, I wanted to do a podcast for International Women's Day. But it's always Women's Day, so yes, you have a really good point. Really good point. And I, it's always puzzled me. Like in my ho- household, um, it was. Just so many secrets, and 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 mm-hmm. they, they didn't have a voice. They really didn't. Yeah. didn't have a voice. Her her, yes. her 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 sister and her marriage really didn't have a voice. Yeah, they they were there physically, but they. What do you think? Has that changed? Has do you has? It, I know it's changed to some degree, but I still think there's a lot of there's still a lot of um, quiet from mm-hmm. from from the female perspective. I still don't think women are heard. They wait the way they should be heard. I'm not sure what that's all about, um, and how and why it's so successful. Why it continues to go on the way it does. Because you'd be surprised how backwards men think as far mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. um, what what do you see? Could shed some light on that. Can you shed anything on? Because I don't understand that. I've never understood why um, clamping down on a woman, taking away her right. voice. Make right. men feel empowered. I, I'm a man, but I don't understand that aspect of it. Do you have any right. thoughts on that? Yes. Um, and definitely want to say, of course, and shout out to anybody listening to this particular podcast. Happy International Women's Month. 
and definitely celebrated date March 8th, but you know, this is um, March 15th. And um, I'm honored to be on the podcast this month. So thank you for this opportunity. And um, absolutely, in my, I can go back exactly from my own house. It was easier for my father to suppress my mother and take away her shine. And that's the thing. When I look back at just the photos of my mother and how she grew up pre, like even my father, like three days before marriage, before all that. And then she married him. And then I look at their, their story and she tells me about their life in Egypt first before they went to New York City and immigrated. So what you think about their life and the way he basically controlled her, it's a power trip. It's all about control. And when a man wants that control over a woman, it is easier for him to knock her down and just keep knocking her from internally. Mm-hmm. And it works, unfortunately, except to some degree on some women, but yeah. not everybody. And thankfully, you know, over these years, I mean, we have come a long way, I would say. I mean, what women are doing today, how they speak, how they, you know, people, women in Congress, women that are, I mean, we have our first vice president is a woman. That's amazing. Um, I mean, and she's a a woman of color. That is what even makes it more incredible. So um, we have come a long way, but we have way more work to do because Mm -hmm. we're still not going to, we don't have equal pay. We're still seen as inferior to men. Although, you know, without a woman, a man wouldn't be here. And that's the one gift that men are always going to feel this, you know, complex. There's a complex about it. Like mm. when a woman tries to bring that out, that, you know what, you wouldn't be here unless I was here. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing that they don't want to ever admit that you have that power. They don't want to admit even to that. I'm talking about the closed minded men. I'm, talking yeah, about yeah. Not, I'm not talking about every man. I'm talking about right, closed minded right. men right. that want us to continue to suppress women. They don't ever want to give them any form of power at right. all, none whatsoever. And it's something that I've seen more in my culture, of course. And I've seen that in Hispanic culture. I have seen that in, um, in other um, cultures that, you know, in other, that just, that's just the way of tradition in, in, in the yeah. Indian culture, even. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, even in the Chinese culture, I've seen that. I've seen it across board in cultures where basically you're not in the United States where that given voice, like, I have the freedom of speech. That concept is not alive and well in other countries. Right. It's it's always a suppressed, yeah. Path, you know, yeah. So and that's even the thing. Here, even here in small circles, um, when you're at least I can I can speak. When I've been in circles of men, when mm-hmm. they, I'm in, I'm amazed that how profound that still is. Right. It still is, and really right. young men. Yeah, they have a certain you know way that they look at women. Now it's not mm-hmm. out there you know on social media all over the place, but when men get amongst themselves. I've been shocked what I've heard. I'm like, wow, you still think like that? I mean, yeah, right. it's still. Um, but you know why? It's because it's passed down from their father. It's mm-hmm. passed down from an uncle. It's passed down from some other generation prior to. So it's still instilled in them to yeah. think like that and not want to respect their, you know, their wife, their girlfriend. So mm-hmm. it, it allows them to cheat. It's like a, a, it's like, oh, it gives you license. No, you could have five women. It doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. there's no respect in mm-hmm. honoring what a woman is and who she is and what she brings to the table. And mm-hmm. that's the thing. It's it's such a um, class system, in a sense, that still yeah. kind of remains of looking who's hierarchy and who's, who's not, who's inferior. Mm-hmm. 
So um, it saddens me that that is still the case. And that is why, personally, I wouldn't want to ever marry anyone from my culture. I don't care how, you know, whatever, as far as how long he's been here. I don't care. I just, I would never want to marry anyone from my culture. I just know how their brain operates. And I know in a heated moment, there's certain curse words that I will never have in my household. I would rather remain single than ever have a fight and have one of those curse words that I heard as a child growing up ever come out. No way. Yeah. It's way worse, way worse than English. I'm going to get off this subject in a minute, but I want to ask one more dealing with yeah. women. Okay. Um, as far as staying in something like that, because I never, that's another aspect yeah. that, and I guess I'm just bringing out things, my ignorance, because I don't, I don't understand it. To stay in something. You know, I, right. I have aunts and uncles who have been married, right. well, not they, they passed now, but 50 and 60 years, and people would celebrate that. Yes. But, but I, I was a nephew, and I saw what was going on, or I saw what was right. going on in my house. It wasn't right. going to happen 50 or 60 years. No, no. It, it sounds right. pretty good, and it's, you know, it makes younger people like, wow, that's great. Yeah, but, yeah. But that, that was hellish. You know, the, the it was. of those 50 years was hellish. You know, exactly. The men were pretty good because they couldn't move anymore to sit on the porch, you know? Right, uh, right, right. Uh, uh, I'll tell you why. They you stay. Stay in those. They I mean, stay. Your experience. Oh, absolutely. I know I have their actual, there's an answer for this, that my mother, I kept telling her when I was 12, you need to leave dad. This is not a way of life. You know, you've had enough. I've had enough. I'm tired of this fighting. You're, you know, this, this constant, it never ends. And he's, he's just not a good husband. He's not a good father. He never wanted to be a father. He straight out told me that in a, in a really um, delicate moment, I was um, getting a ultrasound done. My mother did the, uh, she set up the appointment. She set it up in the wrong hospital. At least we went to the wrong hospital. <laughs> so when we got there, they said, oh, no, um, you don't have an appointment, but we can take you. And I'm like, well, do you have a female um, you know, tech. And they said, no, I'm sorry, only in male tech. So my dad's like, oh, I'm going to come in with you. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, I'm 15 years old and I'm getting this ultrasound down. I'm like, great. Now I got a, a male tech and my dad is in the room too. Fantastic. So the male tech, yeah, I was like, this is awesome. So I'm sitting there and of course, you know, he's, he's doing his thing, the tech, he's, you know, and I'm like, okay. And he goes, oh, I have to go and, and I got to do something real quick. He goes, he gets another guy to come in to look and I'm like, oh my God. So three, three men, I'm thinking this was the worst day ever. So then he leaves with this guy. He needed a second opinion. So they go outside to talk. My dad straight up says, see, I never wanted children. Mm. And I'm like, wow, dad, you picked a fine time to say that to me. Thanks a lot. Wow. You know, thanks. You know, and so that was one thing. But my mother, say, she stayed and continued this mess because this is what she said to me. I don't want you to have a broken house. I don't want you to grow up like in, in when you in our church. This was her whole goal is like the Coptic Orthodox Church. You know, from you to come from a divorced house, it doesn't look good for you for you to get married. I don't want that to be your your story that you came from a divorced house. And I said, well, who cares? I said, what is the? I don't understand for you to continue to live this way. And why? And she didn't understand that I was like against this idea I couldn't understand it and then when I was in 18 right about turning right before I turned 18 I moved out my freshman year in college 
and I rented a room with these two other girls that was at Cal Poly. And basically, um, I left the house because I was like, you know what? You guys can kill each other for all I care. I was like, I was done. At that point, I was done. You can continue your fighting. You can do whatever you want to do. But I'm tired of you cheating on my mother. I'm tired of you doing all this mess. I'm out. So you guys figure it out. But they still continued. And my, my father basically ended up getting sick really bad. He'd been sick all my life, and so had been my mother. And that's another thing, is their health. So um, bottom line, he continued, and then he passed two, He passed one month right before I graduated from Cal Poly, basically, one month before I graduated. So um, it had been five years that I was in the school, and, yeah, I was really devastated that he didn't make it at least to see me graduate. But um, bottom line, when he passed, she finally – um, could breathe, but this is the sad part. Like you said, they live on, they're still sick. Like he kind of stripped her of yeah. everything, in my opinion. I felt like her confidence and all that, her her spirit was just like mm. fried. It was yeah. done. And I was thankful that she actually still had time to herself. She had approximately, she had 11, 11 12 years without oh. him on the planet, which I was thankful that she at least got that. But, and I tried to be, you know, light in her life. I tried to take her out and support her and encourage her and, you know, all things that I could do. But you can't, I'm not here to repair something that had really nothing to do with me directly. This is their war, not mine. And the thing is, culturally, it's embedded in women that, hey, you stick it out. You don't leave. Especially during those, I mean, my mother was um, 74 when she passed. So my mother was 40 years older than me. And my father was 45 years older than me. So they had me at a late age. I was surprised. Mistake should have never happened. That's what I was. <laughs> so that's, that's well, what I was told. You, you, weren't, you weren't a mistake as far as the earth is concerned. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'll get on something else now. But I just wanted to <laughs> get your thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, you're a curator. So you do quite a few things. I want to. I'm looking at these notes I wrote prior mm-hmm. to getting the phone. And um, a curator. So explain to me what you do as, as a curator. Is that with art? That's art pieces. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I was blessed to um, work for an art gallery, and mm-hmm. I got to curate monthly shows for Second Saturday Art Walk. And so I had all these amazing, you know, photographers and and painters and oil painters and acrylic and and just all kinds of art every month. And also I was able to host open mics at the gallery, so I hosted mm-hmm. twice a month. And I also uh, did paint and sip classes, so I gave an opportunity for people to come in and actually learn how to paint with a really great artist. And um, I found myself more and more encouraged to finally tap into more of my artwork. So that was the beauty of this. I got to experience all these amazing people every month and then finally decided to, like, start drawing again and painting. Um, I've always liked painting, painting things, but then it was finally like, you know what, I think I'm going to start actually painting journals again. I think I'm going to start painting on canvas. I'm, I'm going to start doing things besides seashells and all these other things that I do. So, but I also curate uh, showcase fundraisers. And that's one of my favorite things to do. I've done some big ones. And these showcase fundraisers are for um, 
basically they it's it's for a certain cause and which is to stop homelessness something for a homeless organization or to okay. stop human trafficking and to help an organization with their needs or art art spaces we're trying to save an art space so i would do showcase fundraisers and raise funds for that and i would have um comedians poets and actually, you came to one of my showcase fundraisers. I how I met you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And yeah, you came and performed poetry. And so um, it's it's something that I really enjoy doing and setting up because it brings so many people together, and it allows people that have never experienced something of poetry or comedy or or um, singers or, you know, vocalists. Like, it's so mind-blowing for them when it all comes together in one show. Mm. So mm -hmm. that's one thing I really enjoy curating. Oh, okay. I was going to save this for the end of it, but now you've got me all wound up. My mind is <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> I usually say this for the end, but I'm going to ask you now. Okay. If you could, if you could go back and talk to... I'm going to say the 14-year-old the princess. Mm. What would you, what advice would you give her? What advice oh, would you give her? Not just advice. What advice would you give her? And would she do anything differently? But give her mm. advice first. What would you do differently? Answer that one second. But what, okay. um, what advice would you give her for what, what's to come? For what's to come? Okay. I would say be excited that your life is going to be quite incredible. You're going to meet the most amazing artists, and you're going to be an artist that is actually well-connected to beautiful human beings. And so get excited. You're headed on a journey that may not make sense right now, but it's just going to take you to this wonderful, wonderful journey as you get older. And just be patient with yourself, and don't be don't be scared, and don't be afraid of anything that you know. You got to take the leap, take the leap, and realize that your your poet your poetry matters. So keep writing, and and express yourself more. Don't be afraid to write. Write and share your work, and be heard. Keep your voice open and be seen. Don't be afraid and don't hide yourself. Be seen. Mm. No, that's good. that's good advice. Okay, if you, I don't even know if you want to change anything, but if there was one thing that you would change, or, or is there anything that you would change about this this whole journey up to this point? This whole journey, what would I change? Maybe this question. Maybe maybe things work out just the way you wanted them to. <laughs> um, no, I think as far as the change aspect, I think I would want to. Um, I think spend more quality time with my mom and reassure her too that you know what she that I really loved her and I appreciated her even though I did and she knew that but I think on a more even more level more important level because unfortunately she died of cancer and it was something that took her in 25 days we didn't know about it oh wow so that was very, very hard because she was sick with so many other illnesses. I never, ever would have thought cancer was going to be this culprit that just, pow, you, you hear about it and boom, 25 days later she's gone. And she deteriorates 20 pounds late, you know, less. It was crazy. So I, I wish I could have, in the years before, like just spent more and more quality time 
Mm-hmm. Although I did, and my friends always told Mary, you gave her time, you would hang out with her. Because my mother was someone who's possessive of me, too. She really liked to spend time with me. And she'd get mad when I'd spend time with my friends. She'd get mad at that situation. She wanted to keep me all to her. So, but I still wanted to give her a little bit more time. I feel like it was important. There was more wisdom. I should have written down the recipes. Like, I should have. There were yeah. things that I should have. <laughs> Those little key things that, you know, I watched some stuff, but I really wish I would have written some. And I wish I would have videotaped her. There was a prayer. She would pray over my head every night, almost mm-hmm. every night. A French prayer, just Hail Mary, you know, you know, Mother of God. And she'd say it in French because she spoke French. It was beautiful. And she'd pray mm-hmm. over my head. She'd put her hand over. And I wish I kept telling myself, I'm going to get her one day. I'm going to videotape this. And mm-hmm. I never did. And so that's the hard part is that not having live, you know, footage and here this time of age now, everybody's got their phone. Hey, that yeah. was not during my time period. There was no you know what I mean, there was not it was not happening. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Did she more time. Did you know all these things that you, you do? Did she know all, all these talents or did you tell no. after the fact? Nope. After the fact. She knew I wrote poetry. She was very proud of me. My first book was self published in two thousand three. And um, that she was very proud of me. She loved the book, and she she would share with her friends in her church. Oh, look, you know her English, the American church, not not the Egyptian church, but the American church. <laughs> she was like, oh, my daughter, you know, this is her book, and you know, she was very proud of me with my my poetry. And she she always told me, you're very creative. You are an artist. She would say that to me. You are an artist. Okay. But um, she didn't get to see everything that I was doing now. No, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. What about writing in the um? Because you mentioned your culture. Would that be like if she was to go if she was in Egypt and, and you had your book? Would that be frowned upon a woman writing a book or no? Not frowned upon of the book, mm-hmm. but the content. If they'd only like my spiritual poems, but the fact oh. that I wrote about love or lust or anything that you know, no, yeah. that wouldn't be good. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So it's like love, huh? on, on condition. Right, right. Okay. And I did share actually some of my poems in my church. I actually did it in our um like our youth the the summer camp, whatever we'd go on. I would share my Christian poems. I actually got a trophy for, mm. you know, sharing. The bishops gave me the trophy and they were very proud mm. of me and so as long as it was this Christian stuff, you know, all of it was, you know, pure, clean and yeah, right. that was accepted. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, um, have you, because you do the life coaching, has there ever been a situation, because you made me think about some things in my job, not the job I have now, but in prior jobs, where um, you were trying to, somebody was reaching out to you and you couldn't save them? I'm, I, maybe saving them is the wrong word. Maybe saving is the wrong word. You couldn't, whatever it was that you were do, you're doing, it's not working on this person, and this person is still going down that road. Have you ever had that situation in your life coach um, experience? Um, I don't think that's the case. I believe one of the first people, one of the first persons I should say, well, that's not true. Okay, so one of the people I could say I've, I have talked to, I did guide and give wisdom However, I felt that certain things they weren't probably just ready for. Okay. Sometimes you talk to somebody, they're not ready to hear it. They're not ready to let go of certain things. And right. that's on them because all you can do is guide. You can show them, hey, let's create this this map. 
Let's create this plan for the next three months. Let's go six months. Let's go a whole year. Where do you see yourself? How do you think you're going to get there? What do you need to work on right now? And then some people are gung-ho on that. They're like, ready. I'm ready. Let's do this. Like, I'm going to do this, this. And then they send you texts and, you know, emails. Oh, my gosh, I did this. And I did this. And they're excited. And I'm excited for them. I, I want to see them leap. But at the same time, not everybody is ready to take the leap. And there's certain points that sometimes you advise them on, like, hey, I need you to work on pruning maybe some of these people out of your life. That part right there is something they're not ready to hear. I don't want to prune that person. It's like in their head, they're like, I don't want to prune this person out. I'm not ready to let go of them. I I still want to love them. And I, I still, but I, but they need me. And, they're, and there's excuses made. Okay. It's easy to make the excuses, but it's harming you. Yeah. So if you choose not to take the necessary steps for your life to be healthy, then you're slowing your progress down. And that's the part where it's it's up to the individual. If you want guidance, great. I'm here for you. But if you choose not to, that's up to you, too. It's still your life. I can't make you do anything you don't want to do. And that's not my goal. I'm trying to guide you. I'm not here to tell you you have to. It's not a have to. It's a choice. Everything in life is a choice. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So that's what it comes down to. That's what, okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Wow. Okay. Um, one more, and then I, I want you to um talk about some things that really inspired you before you leave. That really, really inspired you beyond poetry and beyond life coaching. Just some things in life. Some either you've experienced them, you've heard them, someone has said something to you. Um, but I wanted to ask you this one more question. Okay, on this you were talking when I wrote these notes. It was saying help them uh, help people meet, reach their reach their vision. So when people come to you as a life coach, do they seek you out? They seek yes. If they have a certain problem, they say, okay, I'm having this problem. Can you help me get from point A to point B? So they come yes. to you and then you guys lay down a plan and go from there? Right. We do lay down a plan. We talk about what's the roadblock because that's the thing. There's always something in the way. So mm-hmm. I try to get to that root cause first. And mm-hmm. find out, okay, what, what are you struggling with? What is it right now that's hindering you? Is there something that's hurting you right now? Are you feeling a certain way? Is, is somebody in your life stopping you, telling you you can't do it? Like, we've got to make sure what is in your way before the plan really is going to manifest. Because you've got to understand, you've got to fully see the big picture. And that's my goal. I, because I'm the outsider looking in, it's easier for me. But they're in their world, it's, and this is everybody. It's easier right. for someone to advise me because they're from the outside looking in. But it's mm-hmm. when taking our own advice, sometimes it's like, wait a minute, you know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. you, we have something stifling us. We have something that's stopping us. But when someone actually says to you, like, hey, you need to make room and move that out of the way, so now you could do X, Y, and Z and get to Z. Mm-hmm. But how are you going to get to Z if you've got that roadblock in, in W? You know what I mean? So W is going to stop you from X, Y, Z. You're not going to get there. So that is the importance of fully understanding what's going on. What's going on in your picture right now? What's in this world like today? What is in your world? Who's in your world? What's happening? And then we can move through and navigate the plan. And, what are you, and be realistic with your plan, too. We're, uh, that's the biggest thing, too. Someone may come to me and tell me, I have, like, these 10 ideas. I'm ready to do all these 10 things. 
And I say to them, okay, that's awesome that you have 10 ideas. That means that, you know, God's working in your life. That's great. And that's another thing. I, I talk about God fluidly. I, I do. I am a spiritual person. I'm not religious. I'm a spiritual person. And I offer that. If someone is open and they want to talk about God, that is an open vehicle as well that I can talk freely about with that particular person on life coaching. If they're not about spirituality at all, they could be atheists. I've, I've talked to people that are atheists and can still life coach them. So I never, ever put anything or impose my beliefs on anyone. But to those that are open, it's always great for me to have that actually as a vehicle because I can pray with them if they're open to it. And the majority of them prefer prayer. So I can pray at the end and close with that um, and wish them a blessing, really. And also, um, in giving them that guidance, it's that open openness that, hey, release let go, and now let's get this plan in motion with your 10 ideas. Write down your 10 ideas, but let's be realistic. Over the next three months, let's tackle three. Mm-hmm. Because when you tell somebody you got 10, that's a little overwhelming. If you think you're going to tackle all 10 visions, it's not realistic. Mm-hmm. You've got to be patient with yourself. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying be realistic. If you've got a day job, and you're trying to do your own personal visions and things, you have to sleep too, you have to eat at some point, you have to take some time to personal care and relax time. Like all that is very, very important in order for you to accomplish the day job and also the visions. So, you know, if you you don't have a day job and that's all you have to work on, no, I'm just going to work on my, I have, you know, this accessible funding that I can do whatever I want. That's a little different. That's a little different. What about that? Have you ever had to, um, or or been asked to? Because it's, sometimes it's difficult, mm-hmm. and it's my experience. It's, it's difficult to advise friends because you're too close to it. Has that ever happened sure. with your life coaching? Because you want to, if you tell them they're gonna, you don't want them mad at you, but at the same time they need a reality check. Has that ever happened to you with life coaching, where there are friends coming in, and then you try to give them some tough advice? And right. go sour, or, or has that ever happened, or um, no? It doesn't go sour. I've actually been able to, to life coach friends, and male and female, as a matter of fact, and nice. I have to keep it 100, and I have to tell them I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You're not, you're not, you're now I'm not your, just your friend. I'm, you're paying me to do this. If you want me to lie to you, that's a different story, but I'm not going to lie to you because I want to see you flourish. I want to see you succeed. And the, your friends, they're not being honest with you. But I got nothing to lose right here. I want to see you flourish. You get mad at me? Go ahead. I'd rather you get mad at me because you know I'm right. That's the end result. People get mad because they know you're right. <laughs> so that's the reason. So they don't want to face it or they don't want to admit it. But then it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They admit it. They'll come back and say you were right. And it's not about me being right. That's not even the point. That's not the point. The point is that I'm trying to look out on your best behalf. And a true friend will be honest with you straight up. A true coach will be honest with you straight up. It's Mm -hmm. the people that don't tell you the truth and just sugarcoat it and tell you what you want to hear. Those are the people you need to prune. Yeah. Because they don't want to see you succeed. And they're they're pretend friends. Mm -hmm. They're not real friends. And that's the problem. We get this misconception. Oh, but this person's been in my life for... For seven years. So, 
Have they been really your friend for seven years? Or have they just been there and you got to keep your, as they say, you keep your, um, what is it, the, the um, your enemies closer kind of thing? Right, right. That's not a real friend. Yeah. I've always said that about the medical field, too. Any doctor yes. that I'm having to see all the time, he's not really yes. my friend. The doctor that's my friend is the one that says, we're going to get you on this road to recovery, and I don't want to see you anymore. That's my exactly. friend. Exactly. Exactly. 100. Yeah. So. Yes. That's interesting. That's, well, um, I'm going to let you – well, I want you to share your information about how people can contact you. But before you do that, I want you to um, leave us with something that you want people to remember um, the Egyptian princess by. I mean, what would you okay. like people to remember you by? You know, I'd like to share two poems oh, if I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, please, please. You know, if I can. Um, please. Yeah, there is um, – Two poems. One is a romantic piece, and one is a just inspirational piece that I hope people will, you know, take something from it and um, be encouraged. That is something that I feel strongly about: is encouraging people. Um, I I always say this, and and I didn't share it earlier. When I was seven, I was hit by a car, and I broke both my legs, my right collarbone. I had fractures in my head. I had double vision, and um, I was five minutes unconscious. So I almost didn't make it. And, uh, you know, I basically had, a, had to stay in the hospital a month and three days. Um, I was uh, gone through three knee surgeries at a hospital bed at home after those, hundred, you know, month and three days at the hospital. I had a hospital bed at home. I had a wheelchair. I had to learn to walk all over again. Completely life-changing, you know, um, forever, basically, experience. Um, I'm left with a leg that's two and a half inches shorter, my left leg, and it's slightly curved out. I do wear an inch buildup, and I'm praise God I don't limp. I, I'm I'm very blessed. I can walk, I can dance, you know, and I'm thankful for that. And the reason I I always say this, and I know you've corrected to me actually once before, but I believe I'm here on borrowed time. And I've seen God like work in my life. I He's he saved my life more than once, and that was the first time. No, no, incorrect, second time, because I was almost aborted. My mother almost didn't keep me. And um, when she found out, she really considered doing that. But there is also, I was prophesized over. My uncle on my father's side, who was sick from leukemia, told my mother two years before, you're going to have a daughter. And she didn't believe him. She didn't believe him, and she, she thought he was just, you know, sick and delirious and crazy. She's like, no, 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 whatever. And two years down the road, bam, it did happen. So um, bottom line, first, almost aborted. Second, my accident. And um, I've gone through other things in my life where, again, dark days where I personally was not happy with life. And because I've overcome so much darkness and I've finally really seen my purpose and my light and been able to walk in it, not to say every day is, you know, daisies and roses, but at the same time, I know my purpose and I know I need to walk in light. So um, with walking in light, I also want to help others walk in light and love as well. That is such a like important purpose for me. And that's why I take life coaching so seriously. And I love to breathe air into other people's lungs and just into their hearts, into their minds, into their spirit and let them know they're not alone. And 
being encouraged is so important. Having someone in your corner to be an anchor to you and just know that they're rooting for you personally and helping you get to your next goal, your next vision, accomplishing those dreams. And just to hear, thank you so much for helping me. That I mean, that always blows my mind. And I, I give all praise and glory to God. I don't really take it personal like it's just like, oh, I'm so wonderful or anything like that. No. I give all that glory to God that he uses me to do that. And I'm privileged to be able to do that. And people do trust me. And I am thankful to still be here and still have that, that opportunity to do that. And I think till my last breath, encouraging others is going to be definitely my, my sole purpose. So I'm going to leave with that poem at the end. Um, I'm going to share one love poem because I feel since Plant My Poetry is the title of your podcast mm-hmm. and your web, you know, your website, I'm going to share this poem. This is one of my favorite poems. I wrote it, and it was, I was written January 29th in 2009, and it's called Planted. Oh, wow. So, okay. yeah, Planted. What a woman wants is to be planted in the soil of a man's heart. She wants to be planted in a small pot with holes to breathe and nurtured with water daily, vitamins to help her grow in love with her man. She wants him to share her in the sunlight, showing her off among all the mere flowers in his life. She wants him to protect her during the cold with his warm gazes indoors. She wants to be a plant that grows and grows planted from pot to pot until one day the love has fully bloomed and removed from the pot and planted to the ground to live on forever beyond their relationship. Mm, powerful. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. It's called planted. Planted? Yes, it's called planted. That's perfect for the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is called Shining Stars. Okay. As a baby, we want to be held grabbing fingers tightly for reassurance. Somehow that never changes. That embrace from someone we trust. You got me, right? leaving us to feel safe in a world that takes from us our innocence. It's through our tribe of lions that surround our journey as watchers, protectors, prayer warriors, visionaries, an embodiment of love that fuels our minds to keep stretching ourselves. We reciprocate strength that only we endure and understand from the battles we've triumphed over, connected on levels of electric frequencies, through our facial expressions, hands touching, an embrace that helps us hang on further in the path that we are on. Our focus is discovering the power within to use our voices, uniting people as one. 2021, the year of taking control of our personal visions, intentions to impact one's life and the world. We have repeatedly learned our days are numbered, watching social media from the year of 2020. Our vessels can't fight without the help of others. Today is the day we decide to truly live out our passions, pouring out light, love, strength, understanding, compassion, 
empathy, finances, resources to support the changing of lives for the greater good, that it would be a domino effect of paying it forward. What are your intentions for this year? Is it mapped out on a vision board, laid out in a journal, on your computer that XYZ is coming to fruition in these next few months? This is the moment as you, amazing, important leaders, need to create open doors, connecting human souls who are depending on you, making changes for today, tomorrow, and hundreds of years to come, producing the fruit of integration from different races, exchanging the power of diversity, having one voice. Be concise in your passions as they unfold the layers of childhood dreams that have been buried subconsciously, suddenly awakening, knowing it's your time to empower our world. Your voice is needed as you work diligently through blueprints of a vision in the coming months to keep sharing and stretching yourself more than ever before as a community of the future. Our very existence is about seizing the power within ourselves so that you illuminate light, connecting with someone else's and passing the torch of lighting each other's candles, never dimming anyone, shining brightly together as the stars do every night. And home. Wow, what a powerful way to end the podcast. I appreciate you coming on so much. I really do. Um, tell Thank me you. They can contact you, and I know you have some books, so give them your email uh, or, or website or whatever. Give them some information on you so they can contact you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Jeffrey. I appreciate yeah. you. It's just yes, an honor. It was beautiful. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And um, as far as reaching me, you can follow me at www.egyptianprincess8.com. And my IG is Egyptian Princess 8. And Twitter is Egyptian Princess 8. And so is my Facebook like page, Egyptian Princess 8. And if you want to email me, Mary Suadros at EgyptianPrincess8.com. And um, yeah, any of those mediums, you can definitely message me. And I'd be happy to answer. And I have um, actually my second book that is in print. You can find it on Amazon or actually directly message me. And you'll get two gifts if you purchase it directly through me and a signed copy, of course, which is If My Body Was a Canvas of Words. So my first book's no longer in print, which is a burgundy rose. But um, If My Body Was a Canvas of Words is definitely still available on Amazon and also, um, again, through me. And I will send two gifts with that. So um, let me know. All right. Well, thank yeah. you so much. And thank, thank you, you. for listening in. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. It's been very – and somebody needed to hear this. I always feel like um, only we can bring – you know, only you, only Egyptian princess – can tell your story. Right away, take me up today. There's no other way I know. Right away, let's go. Far away, listen when I say.